Amen. You want to have a seat? Well, good morning, everyone. No, Bart and Randy did not say, okay, only one service today? Let Kyle do it. No, that didn't happen. No, this was all planned. No, no worries there. Hey, can we give a hand for our student ministry band? Can we do that? Yeah. I'm so grateful to get to worship with them every week, and Tammy, and Tammy too. Uh, but uh, Jess uh, leads this group. She does an incredible job just empowering these students to uh, discover gifts, to use their gifts, and uh, just to, to praise God every week and lead our students in worship. So uh, that's what we get to do every Wednesday night with the students. So it's New Year's Eve. 2018 is very close uh, to starting, and 2017 is very close to ending. Um, there's really been this narrative in uh, media and on social media that 2017 just needs to go. And that's been the, the worst year ever, and, and how everything has been a complete meltdown. And, and really, 2017 has been full of a, a lot of tragedy, a lot of things that have been uh, frustrating and, and scary and, and uh, confusing and all this. 2017 has been uh, a tumultuous year for sure. But I think for, for anyone to completely discredit this year as just needing to go in the trash or something is forgetting some of those wonderful things that happened. I, I love that we just got to celebrate what Randy said, that uh, because of some incredible generosity by our church, this next year is going to see uh, just the kingdom go forth in such an incredible way in church planning in, in uh, Montreal and Honduras and all around the world because of the generosity of this church. And, and it would be naive to think that we're the only church doing that. <laughs> to, to think that we're the only church doing good things. God is incredibly at work in our nation and across our world. Amen? He is. And so for us to, to throw out a year because of things that happened that, that were, were tragic, well, that's going to happen every year. We're going we're to run into frustrations. We're going to run into things that are going to scare us. Um, but the constant remains, and that is God is on the throne. And so we can remember that, and we can celebrate that, and we get to stand knowing that our God is behind us and leading us all at the same time. It's a beautiful thing to be part of, of this journey with God. So this new year, it's so often full of, of new beginnings, new things changing, and, and uh, new chances, fresh starts. There's hope in the new year. There is. There always is. And, and the future can really be um, exciting because we can't change the past. What, what's happened in the past has, has happened. But when we look to the future, that's all the stuff we can manipulate, right? That's the things where we're like, I can, I can take hold of that. I can change the trajectory of my life. And so every new year is one of those times, one of those times when we just get to hit the reset button and we're like, okay, what can I change? There's nothing different about the day just because it has a January 1 uh, labeling it. There's nothing different about the day than any other day except for the fact that it's a reminder of renewal. Yes, we can choose any day to restart, um, but it, it is a great reminder. And our life is full of these little reminders of things changing and, and, and moving us forward. Uh, so I think about uh, different life things that, that happen. For instance, marriage kickstarts our life into a new direction. So Because no longer is it just about, okay, what am I going to do, do today? It's going to be like, 
what are we going to do today? It changes your entire perspective. And I, I remember when I got married seven years ago, um, I, I, I thought, okay, this is my chance to stop doing some things that were, were foolish because now I have someone looking to me to lead in, in a certain way. And the same thing happened when my, uh, my first son was born uh, two and a half years ago, or, um, where when Walt was born, I had to go, you know what, now, now I'm dad. Now, now there's something new happening here. And so I have to change certain things. I can't act a certain way because now I'm, I'm leading a young life and shaping a young life. And, and so it's another one of those restarts, those, those, those new beginnings that happen in life where things change direction. Again, we had our student band lead us in worship today, and every week I work with, with teenagers and, and get to lead them and encourage them and, and have fun hanging out with them and, and all of that. But almost uh, more than any time in my life personally that I can think of, there are these little refresher moments that happen in those 7th through 12th grade years. It happens a lot. Where uh, I see probably most between eighth and ninth grade that, that transition, especially in this area between middle school and high school, uh, where there's a lot of confusing things that happen. Um, so last week, um, Bart mentioned uh, some of the gifts that he had received on on Christmas, and uh, he talked about uh, his Nintendo that he got, the Atari that he got, and also parachute pants, whatever those are. Um, and so I've been thinking about some of the things that, that I was gifted at uh, when I was in like 7th and 8th grade. And I remember getting as a, a present one of these things. We throw up this picture. Yeah, look at that. That's called a gigapet. Anybody remember those whatsoever? Yes. You got some, some 20 and 30 something going, yeah, I had six of those. They all died. Um, yeah. I remember being in eighth grade and, I don't know, maybe I was just a glutton for punishment, but clipping one of those things in my backpack and thinking I'm the coolest kid in school. That's right, I'm taking care of a digital puppy. Everybody's really impressed by that. Um, and uh, it was one of those big things, that, you know, there's always these fads that happen with, with uh, uh, kids where teachers freak out because all the kids are bringing them to school, right, okay? Hey, he, it happens just about every couple years. One's just like, okay, all schools are banning these things. I remember those silly band things were one. I remember when I was in elementary school, Pogs. Anybody remember Pogs? Anybody remember? Yes. Again, my 20-somethings and such. Okay, cool. Um, but all of those, those different things. Um, and, and so we can take that down. It's just embarrassing me to leave it up there. There, thank you so much. But, but those, those years, the seventh grade years, they're awkward. And then something happens in ninth grade uh, where it's like, you know what? I gotta, I gotta change something. And, and maybe it's social pressure. Maybe it's just uh, how, how the, the body and mind are changing. But, but that's a weird transition. And so a lot of students I see between that eighth grade and ninth grade year just they change. And, and sometimes it's for for the the better. Sometimes it's for the worse. But there's change that that happens. And it, all through our lives, we see these moments where fresh starts take place. Thank the Lord that I'm not still all about gigapets. I'm so happy about that. All these fresh starts that we get. And so the New Year's are a reminder of this. And one of the biggest um, things that we experience is life change that takes place is when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. See, each of these different life changes, 
each of these different life changes, they invite us into kind of new communities too. For instance, when I get married, I'm welcomed into a new group of people that understand what I'm going through. Like, so there's something about being uh, unmarried and, and looking at your friends who are in, in marriage relationships, and you just kind of go, I don't get that. And when you are in a marriage relationship, you do. You're kind of invited into a, community, a new community. Same thing when you have kids. When you have kids, your, your friends who are married without kids don't understand things the same way. They say stuff like, well, I have a dog. You know, like, you still don't get it. <laughs> so we're invited into new communities as we hit these new life stages. In middle school, high school, different age stages of our life, we, we are invited into new communities. And the same way happens when we're accepted, uh, when we accept Christ, we are invited into a, a new community. But this particular community is, is changing um, the direction of the world. We truly believe that, that God has called us to, to something greater. This community is doing something mighty. So here's the thing that I, I need us all to remember today, and, and we need to remember this daily, and it's that Jesus makes us new. That seems like a really simple point, but, but it's a reminder that we have to establish. Jesus makes us new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is central to what we believe as Christians. And if you're here today and this is new to you, let me pause to, to explain this, this good news to you. And if, if this isn't new to you, let me uh, allow you to the joy in remembering this, that we just celebrated Christmas, the birth of Jesus, who was born of a virgin, this miraculous gift that was given to us by God as he gave himself to us in the form of a baby who would grow to be a man, fully God, fully man. And in his life, he taught us, taught humanity the nature of God's heart. And he wanted so much more than, than a religious rhythm. He wanted our hearts in return. He cared about the nature of more than what we say and do, but what we feel and think. As he taught and loved and healed and encouraged and challenged the, the religious authority, lived a life that provided great joy and hope for some, mainly the broken and the oppressed. But he challenged and frustrated the religious. And because of that, he was wrongfully accused, illegally tried, and sentenced to die. And die he did. Jesus died on that cross. The most gruesome executions mankind had ever thought of. I read uh, the, the Jesus story book Bible with my son every night. I love that. If you have kids, look that up. I read the Jesus story book Bible to, to Walt every night. And uh, when we get to this story, the story, that, that chapter or whatever, that page ends with Jesus' death and his burial. I can't help but get emotional. My voice gets somber when, when telling this story to my son as I'm thinking in the back of my head, does he get this? Does he get that Jesus died? Is this scaring him? I don't know. He's two and a half. It's really hard to tell. It's, it's a weighty story. It's heavy. So we get to that part of the story, and tears always, always well up in my eyes when I'm reading about Jesus' death. 
And I can't imagine what his followers, the disciples, what, what those who loved and walked with him were thinking as he was pulled down on, off that cross lifeless. If I'm tearing up at a storybook, I can't imagine being here. But the story doesn't end at the, at the cross and the grave. Three days later, women came to Jesus' grave to find it empty. And I love what my son says the next night when we read the story again. He points at the picture, the empty tomb. He says, he's not in there. I'm like, yeah, that's right. And he goes, where is he? I'm like, where is he, Walt? And Walt, every single time, says, Jesus is alive. I'm like, amen, son. That's right. Jesus is alive. And it overwhelms my heart. That is the truth. That is what changes us. Because his death was a sacrifice for our sin, but his resurrection was the conquering of death. And it's beautiful. And that truth, echoing in our lives daily, it restores us when we are weak. That truth strengthens our mind when, when we are in battles of life. It challenges us and pushes us forward. In Christ, you are a new creation. I think a lot of times when we hear those verses, we, we think, we, we do think about us. I am a new creation. I am a new creation. But then, if we expand that, we realize that we, we all are a new creation. So I'm going to say that point again, that really simple point that Jesus makes us new. But emphasis on us. Emphasis on us. Us new. All of us. So in this, if believers in Christ are made a new creation, that means collectively we're spiritually like a new species. We're different. We're set apart. Our, our spirit has been changed. It's been restored. And because of that, we are given a new mission that's laid before us. First Peter 2 is where I want to really camp out for the remainder of our time today. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Let me read this for us. It says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I love that, that part. Once you were not a people, once you, you had no collective identity, as if to say you were just people that were at any time able to war against one another. You, you were isolated, but now you, you have a collective identity in Christ. Now you are a people. You are God's children. You are God's people if you're a believer in Christ. This is such an empowering verse, empowering passage. The language of ownership and purpose is beautiful in this verse. And we discover that being new people means two things. It means you matter to God and it means you have meaning to God. Now, I'm not a psychology major. I didn't 
I tried to avoid that a lot <laughs> in college, but I, I didn't uh, do uh, take a lot of psychology classes. I took one, but one thing I remember is there, there are core things to our physiology and our psychology that we need to survive. And mattering to this world and having meaning in this world are two huge ones. For people to look at you and, and, and say that you are loved, and for someone to look at you and say you have purpose, those ground us to this world, and God does that for us. God says you matter and you have meaning. And sometimes, God, sometimes we, we really feel like the opposite of that. There's so many times where, where if I'm just honest with you, I feel like I don't matter and I don't have meaning. I think, well, how you, you work with the students, you, 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 have, you do a lot of things, a lot of responsibilities. That's kind of that human nature to really question what impact that we're making. And God, by being welcomed into this new nation, to be being proclaimed as a new people, in that we were proclaimed a royal priesthood. Because here's the thing: I'm, I'm not a priest; I'm a, I'm a pastor. We, we are all part of this royal priesthood. We all have a responsibility. In the kingdom of God. We all have this responsibility. And so God looks at us and says, You have meaning and you matter. And so, what should our response be? Your New Year's resolution is right here in this passage. It says this again it says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we're called to do, to proclaim his excellencies. Now, how do we proclaim God's excellencies? There's two ways that we proclaim God's excellencies. One, we tell him, and two, we tell others. Super simple. We tell him, we tell others. So we just... Spend some time proclaiming God's excellencies to him. That's what worship is. We, we shout to God saying, God, this is who you are. We love you for this. This is what you've done for me. We proclaim his excellencies to him. We are called to do that. But the second part is we, we proclaim his excellencies to others. Um, I don't know how this happens. Uh, every time I preach, I talk about burgers. I can't help it. It's a problem. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I, I, I absolutely do love love burgers. If you hadn't heard that, when, when I know of a, a really good burger place, um, I can leave that place after having a really good burger and tell the people, "Thank you, that was delicious." But if I then go and tell my friends, "Hey, that was delicious," that takes it, that appreciation for that place to a whole new level. If I never talk about it again, it's almost like I didn't really appreciate it in the first place. And for another example, when um, this week I've had a lot of time um, at home, our offices are closed kind of over the holidays, so I work more from, from home than I normally do throughout the week, and uh, so I've been around to do more stuff around the house. It's very helpful. My wife stays home with our two boys. She takes care of uh, the majority of the laundry, the majority of the dishes and cooking and all that stuff. I'm so incredibly thankful for that, and so I wanted to repay her for that by doing a lot of that this week and letting her rest as much as possible. So uh, this week I've done tons of laundry and tons of dishes and uh, I've, I've cooked a, a couple times or 
you've gone out and gotten food a couple times. And, and so uh, I, I've done these things. There's a big difference between when Maddie looks at what I've done and says, thank you, I appreciate that, which warms my heart. I'm grateful for that. But if I see that then she's gone and put a post on social media, like my husband's the best, this is what he's done for me. Or if I hear her talking to a friend or, or her mom or, or someone and saying, Kyle's been so helpful this week. Now you're talking about a whole different level of pride, right? I think you, you feel that. When somebody talks about you in, in, in a positive way, it overwhelms our pride. And we are grateful for that feeling. It makes us feel like we matter and have meaning. So for a God who looks at us and says, you matter, you have meaning, I've given you purpose, I've created you, I love you, I've gone to incredible lengths to love you, our response is to say, God, you matter and you have meaning and let me prove that to you by telling people about you, by sharing what you've done in my life. That's what we're called to do. See, 2018 needs to be the year that we go and tell. So does 2019, so it's 2020. Every single day and year until he calls us home, we should go and proclaim the excellencies of God. That's what we're supposed to do. There's lots of things that can hold us back from that. Lots of things in us that keep us from proclaiming to others. But if we're fully going to understand this concept of being a new people, a new nation, this, again, like I said, spiritually speaking, a new species, we, we need to understand that no new species survives by turning their back on, on the rest of the world. No new nation survives by turning its backs entirely on its borders. Now, looking outward is the way that things survive and grow. If, if we as a people, as a church, huddle in such a way that we never look out, we, we will crumble and we will fall. Now, it's not to say that God is, isn't greater than that or that we're in, in full responsibility of whether the church succeeds or fails. It's not what I'm saying. What, what I'm saying is the Western church has doors closing left and right because of isolation and insulation. Now, it feels really funny to talk about this in a church that just gained tremendously dimensions. It feels really funny to talk about this in a church that I know is doing amazing things, but it's happening all over our nation and all over the Western culture. We can't have an attitude of insulation. And so the biggest thing, the biggest thing is that is going to help us to grow the, the church and be useful for the kingdom of God is for us to continue to have open hearts and, and open, uh, open hands and giving hearts, continue to see the beauty in our communities and, and seek out to help and heal brokenness. But really the best way we can set our eyes on the spiritual brokenness of others is to remember our lives before we were part of this movie. To remember what we were like before we were welcomed into this community. And sometimes that's really tough. 
And so we, we don't like to even think about the culture we were engaged in or the things we were engaged in before because that was, sometimes for some of us that was really scary stuff. Some of us it was really terrifying. It's like I don't I don't like to think about being free power to think of that. Don't like to think about that. Or what my haircut looked like back there. It was bad. I'm just tell you that. I don't like to think about that. Or if we don't remember our past, it's hard to have compassion for, for those who are broken now. If we don't remember the nature that we were in before God saved us, it's hard to have compassion for those who are broken now. This, uh, I love this quote. This is from Matt Chandler. He's the pastor of the Village Church in Flower Mound. He said this once. He said, one of the great myths of our faith is that we think there's a type of person that becomes a Christian. I think that's something that we're in danger of doing if we, again, insulate and isolate. With such good things happening in this church, it could be really easy to eventually just look inward and just think, this is all that we need to be doing right here. I, I love the, the mission that Bart and Randy put before everyone when we start building this building is that we want it to be a hub for ministry. A hub for ministry is, is something that sends out a location that people meet and then go. That's the, the idea that we wanted. We didn't want this to be uh, a cruise liner type of building where people just come and enjoy themselves. We wanted it to be a sending place, as, as Bart uh, has put, pointed to as being like an aircraft carrier, sitting out. That myth that Matt Chandler was talking about is absurd, of course. The idea that one type of person becomes a Christian is proven false just by looking around the room, right? And we, we've come from all sorts of different cultures and backgrounds and upbringings and political opinions and, and different financial situations, different ages, different levels of, of brokenness and stability, different uh, uh, feelings of, of being settled or content. There's all sorts of things represented here. All sorts of things represented here. So it's clear that God doesn't have any list of prerequisites for those who can be saved. So we need to understand this because otherwise we could begin Picking and choosing who we think God can save. Who we think is worthy of our time and effort. And that's not at all what God has called us to do. We should be realizing that everybody is worthy of our time. Share the gospel with how we live our lives. How we talk about the excellencies of God. Taking every opportunity to proclaim his name. I love this passage. This is in Isaiah 59 1. It says this Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that we cannot save, that it cannot save, for his ear, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. The idea is that there is no limit on God's ability to rescue this world. There's nothing out of God's reach. The, the limits that we see in our lives are placed there by us. The limits that we see on, on people's lives for, for their ability to, to come to know Jesus are placed there by us. 
there, there have been multiple times where I've had to battle that thought in my mind of, is this person too far gone? Shame on me for ever thinking that. Because was I? Was there a point where somebody looked at me like, yeah, probably too far gone? I'm thankful no one did that to me. What we need to understand is that God saves from the messes and from the upright. He saves from the just and the unjust, from the curious and the uninterested, from the religious and the non-religious. He saves completely. We look, we just look at the stories in the Bible of how Jesus interacted with people, how God called people out. He rescues no matter what. I love the story. I'm, I'm just paraphrasing here of when, when Jesus was uh, invited to dine with a Pharisee. And a, a prostitute, hearing this, came to this, to this house. She walked in, and, and everybody who was there knew her character, knew her lifestyle. And there she bowed at Jesus' feet and washed his feet and poured oil over it. This story of how Jesus showed compassion, it astonished the Pharisees who were grumbling about this. And like, how, how dare he do this? And yet, that's exactly what God does, showing compassion, no matter what the circumstances. So if I had to call us to something, it would be, don't stay God's hand. Don't attempt to stay God's hand at this year. There are going to be lots of distractions, lots of things that keep us from, from wanting to, to share the gospel with other people in our workplace and those around us. Don't stay God's hand. This isn't going to be on the screens, but I ask you just to listen to this. This is a continuation of that verse in 1 Peter. It says, Beloved, I urge you, as, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep conduct among the Gentiles uh, honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So it gives this continued call to us. That what we are called to do, what we are meant to do, is to live honorably. To live just lives, to, to care for other people. And I love what this passage says. It says, again, I'm going to read again. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers. It says that, guess what? Conflict is going to happen. Guess what? People aren't going to like when, when you share the, the gospel with them sometimes. People aren't going to necessarily be always receptive of, of this behavior for the kingdom of God. But if we continue to love, we can continue to, as this verse says, keep our conduct honorable, they're going to see our good deeds. They're going to get it. And when they greet God, in this life or the next, it's going to click with them. Hopefully well before that. Hopefully within your relationships. 
My prayer for every single one of us is that we have new eyes this year. Eyes as a new people. Ready to look out to those who need to hear the good news of Jesus. I think the first step that every single one of us can take, and you can take it today, is to answer this question. Are, are you praying for the salvation of others? Do you do that? Do you take time to think about the people in your life and, and pray for their salvation? I think we're really good about praying over people's situations. And I think we need to continue doing that. But we need to strongly consider if we know somebody is not saved, and we pray for their salvation. Because two things happen. One, God hears and acts on our prayers. Two, it readies our heart to have compassion for them and to serve them. So I just want to leave you with that today. Are you praying for the salvation of others? I ask you to bow your heads. With your head bowed, uh, I'm just going to lead you in some personal prayer for praying uh, over us corporately and collectively. I just ask you right now to think about those in your life who you know don't know Jesus. Picture them in your mind. Think about the ways you already have, as this verse said, proclaim the excellencies of God to them. Think about the ways, the opportunities that you might have to do so. Father, God, you are so good to us. God, you have given our lives tremendously. We thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for us. We desperately needed that rescue. Desperately needed your pursuit. <laughs> God, in response to you proclaiming us new creations, in response to being welcomed as a new people in this world, God, may we proclaim your name. Your name eagerly 
await leaving our lips. How we can't be silent to be eager to tell. God, we thank you that you've given us that challenge. Rescued us, Father. You didn't ask us to sit on the sidelines. You didn't ask us to just get out of your way, but you invited us on this journey. Welcomed us to serve you alongside you. And I got your Holy Spirit abides within those who believe in you. God, for those in this room who do not have a relationship with you, Pray that they've heard this good news about your son, who he is, what he had done, how he's active in our lives today. I pray that it's what is it? it's encouraged everyone to do. I do pray for your salvation. Right now, you accept who you are and what you've done. Thank you.